Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, known as the First Commandment, and can be found on page 49 of the New Testament in your pew Bible. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, You have truly said that he is one, and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we come into your presence each day as we gather at worship and we open ourselves to hear your word, your truth, to discover who we are as we discover who you are. So be with us now as we hear your word and listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Old Testament lesson comes to us from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, beginning at verses 10 through 20. If you'd like to follow in the Pew Bible, it begins on page 10. Now there was a famine in the land of Egypt. There was, I'm sorry. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of the Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, 
And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah's wife, Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this have you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning him, and they sent him on the way with his wife and all that he had. The word of the Lord. In the reading of this text, there are many questions that might arise that come to us. And the text doesn't answer the questions, but rather offers us this story as a gift of pondering and wondering and paying attention. We've made our way through three quarters of February. It's a month of celebrations and opportunities to learn. We've celebrated Valentine's Day and this weekend President's Day, and as Pastor John likes to remind us, Lincoln's birthday. But it's also African American History Month, and as part of that month of celebration, we have opportunities to learn more of African American history and the things that we may not have known or have been taught uh, in school. This past Thursday, we had a wonderful experience here in the church of hearing from one of the remaining Tuskegee Airmen, Dr. Richardson, who came and gave a presentation. And in that presentation, he explained uh, many of the prejudices and difficulties that these uh, gifted and talented men had in trying to serve uh, the country, uh, especially during the Second World War. So we realize that um, in our history there have been places and times where our country has expressed in, in very sad and, and unfortunate ways uh, a prejudice against people of color. But one of the things that was brought out in that presentation was the ways in which um, individuals overcame those barriers and those borderlines that were limiting them in what they could do. As Christians, we come to worship, we hear the scriptures read and proclaimed, and by doing that, we intentionally place ourselves before the stories to learn about our ancestors of the faith. And as I said, there's always questions that come up when we read some of these texts. And Patrick Otuma, a poet and writer, he says this about stories. Stories have the power to face us with ourselves. If a story is told well, it upsets some of our conveniences and challenges the previously unchallenged. Stories have unexpected twists and turns. Stories find heroes in strange corners. 
stories reveal something about the behavior of people previously considered to be above reproach. Stories contain our projections and our prejudices, and if we're lucky, we hear the story enough times that some of those projections and some of those prejudices are coaxed into a new imagination. The story that we've just read in Genesis about Abram and Sarah is one of those stories that challenges us and raises many questions. It's a very simple story. There is famine in the land, food is gone, and there is food in Egypt. But there's a problem. Abram has heard about the Egyptians and that they are a dangerous and unpredictable people. He recites the widely accepted opinion that they take what does not belong to them and they cannot be trusted. And because of these assumptions, Abram devised a plan that he thought would keep them safe and would also allow him to get what he needed from the Egyptians. He assumed that he could protect his family and get what he needed because he knew what the Egyptians were like. Now remember, this is the Abram who had received the promise from God that is found in the first few verses of this 11th chapter of, or 12th chapter of Genesis. And this promise to Abram was this, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram is known as the father of the faithful. And I have no intention of discrediting that title. But in this story, we see his humanity and some of his fear and his assumptions. He, like us, knows the promises of God, and he is moving out, following the instructions that God has given him. But he holds in his heart assumptions about strangers and foreigners, and they are going to be challenged in this encounter with the Pharaoh of Egypt. There's famine. Egypt has food. He decides, Abram decides that going there and seeking relief is the right thing to do. And he has a plan to protect himself because he believes that the Egyptians will kill him because his wife Sarah is so beautiful that they will want to take her as their wife. And so he devises the plan of introducing Sarah as his sister. Well, the story confirms that it does happen as Abram anticipated. Sarah is indeed deemed beautiful and worthy to be part of Pharaoh's household. Abram is treated lavishly and given sheep and donkey and slaves and camels, while Sarah is whisked away to Pharaoh's harem of potential wives. God intervenes and afflicts the household of Pharaoh with plagues 
We don't know exactly what these plagues are because this is many years before the exodus of the people where the Pharaoh was uh, inflicted and the entire country with plagues. It could have been illness. It could have been boils. It could have been frogs. We don't know. But it is soon determined that the reason for these plagues is because of Abram's deception. And Pharaoh, understandably, reproaches Abram for this deception. We don't know the reason that uh, behind the uh, taking of Sarah into the, into the harem, other than that she was a beautiful woman, but it's possible that in that time there was a sense of hospitality and courtesy that might include taking someone who was destitute and in need into the home, into the, into the kingdom, into the king, uh, of, into the reign of Pharaoh. So it's quite possible that when a desperate, hungry foreigner shows up, relieving that per, uh, man of an unmarried sister as another mouth to feed uh, could be a way of showing kindness and hospitality. We don't know the reason. But we know that Sarah, uh, we know that Abram's actions was based on an assumption. Assumption about what he thought he knew about the Egyptians. Abram's action was a racist assumption. And racism is foreign to the heart of God. For the very promise of God to Abram declares that Abram will be a blessing to all nations and all people. Racism is foreign to the heart of God. Many years ago, there was a popular TV uh, hospital drama, drama, and one show is very memorable in my uh, mind, and it begins with two gunshot victims being briskly rolled into the ER of Chicago's County General Hospital. The paramedics are shouting out vital signs. Doctors and nurses are scrambling to assess the severity of the wounds and begin treatment. The medical team begins frantically working on one young man assessed to be the most critical, while another youth is sent to an adjacent trauma room to be taken care of by some interns and nurses. The most seriously injured young man is white and the other is black. Within seconds, the black youth's condition becomes life-threatening and he is whisked away to surgery. But just prior to that, the brother of this black patient barged into the trauma room demanding that his brother be treated while loudly suggesting that the doctor was not giving the same medical attention to his brother because he was black. He accused the doctor of assuming that his brother was the one who pulled the trigger and, and declared that the doctor therefore was not in a hurry to offer treatment. In the midst of that chaos, the parents of the other young man arrive. The doctor is cordial and compassionate and explaining that their son condition and assures them that he's getting the best of care. 
The parents sheepishly admit that their son was a drug dealer and that they fully expected that one day this would be his fate. This powerful scene took a new turn as the doctors and the viewers had to mentally readjust some of their own assumptions about these two victims. The aggressive, demanding behavior of the brother had gotten under the white skin of the doctor, and he was annoyed that he would be vehemently charged that his medical decisions could have a racial bias. Throughout the rest of the program, the doctor is confronted by his assumptions and his manner of interacting with patients and families. He was intimidated by the black youth's brother. And so when it was time to tell the family that the young man had died, he goes to a black male nurse and asks him to go with him to the family to share the sad news. The nurse says, I'm a nurse. If you're afraid, call security. As the program ends, the doctor is leaving for the day and he asks a black female nurse if she thought his medical decisions and behavior was impacted or biased because of race. And she replies, it's always about race. It's always about race. And racism is foreign to the heart of God. One of the challenges of our day, our time, our culture, our journey of faith is being confronted with the ways in which our assumptions about other people and their choices and actions is laced with racism. None of us is exempt from it. As we learn of other stories, as we learn their history, of people who are different than us, we are invited to discover, to reflect on the places and ways in which we respond to others based on assumptions that we've been taught or what we've heard, that somehow people are different than we are. Racism is foreign to the heart of God. The freedom that we have in following Christ is that we can confront our inner thoughts, our actions. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be open to learning and change. And we all carry some form of assumptions about others, whether it's based on race or color or gender. We are all impacted in our own ways by the assumptions we carry about others. And so the story of Abram invites us to consider some of the ways in which the, we carry unconscious bias about who the pharaohs are in our lives. And we're challenged to own up to what we har harbor, to, through the Spirit of God, relinquish some long-held prejudices and to open ourselves to discover some of the ways that we limit the way we love God and other people. Jesus came into the world as a person of color. He was part of a Jewish community that was oppressed and controlled 
and was servants of the powerful Roman Empire. They lived under restrictions and oppression and unjust laws. They were disrespected and abused. And yet, in Jesus' life, he called Simon the Zealot, a political anarchist, to be one of his followers. He had dinner in the home of Zacchaeus, an, an ostracized Jew who was working for the empire. He conversed with and even stayed with the woman of Samaria, a people that the Jews considered half-breeds. He listened to a Gentile Syrophoenician woman pleading for her daughter, and Jesus even referred to her as a dog, and yet she challenged him about his assumptions about the kingdom of God. And he praised her for her willingness to confront him of his own limited view. He healed the servant of a Roman centurion. He touched lepers. He broke down borderlines that restricted the kingdom of God to only a special few. There is so much work for us to do within our own culture, within our own nation, and within our world in breaking down the borderlines that create fear, enmity, and hatred. Working for policies and laws and rights is kingdom work. If scripture teaches us anything at all about this journey of faith, is that where the place of transformation takes place isn't necessarily in our community, in our politics, or in our world. It takes place in the heart of each and every one of us. And Jesus leaves us with these words. Continue the work of loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving ourselves. And Jesus says, do it with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That invitation, that instruction is with intention, that it is something that we do carefully and thoughtfully as we discover how it is that we create borderlines to those around us. And where are those places that those borderlines, those assumptions need to be broken down? May it be so as we continue this journey of discovering and loving God and our neighbors. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.